Thanks for tuning in to the New Life South Coast weekly sermon podcast. We want you to know that we're excited about our brand new church facility located on 1331 Cove Road in New Bedford, Massachusetts. We offer two Sunday morning services with something for everyone. We have kids classes for all ages so parents can enjoy the service while the kids learn about Jesus. We'd love to host you in person, 9.30 or 11.30 every Sunday. Now here's Pastor Marco with another encouraging word. But Mark chapter 9, beginning with verse 38, we're going to see why I mean that Jesus wants to save Christians. John said this to Jesus, teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. Verse 39, don't stop him, Jesus said. No one who performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. Anyone who is not against us is for us. If anyone gives you a cup of water because you belong to the Messiah, tell the truth, that person will surely be rewarded. Can you say amen? Anyone who is not for us, who is, who is not against us, is for us. My friends, Jesus wants to save Christians. Oh, it's going to get fun today. <laughs> you know, Gandhi was highly influenced by Jesus' teachings. You know, if you know a little bit of history, you know Gandhi played a major role in bringing freedom to his people in India. They were oppressed by the English Empire, and Gandhi used nonviolence to bring about an amazing revolution that brought freedom to his people. And Gandhi said that one of the greatest inspiration for him was Jesus, especially Jesus' message, the Sermon on the Mount. How much that impacted him to develop this strategy that we're not gonna overcome evil with evil. We're gonna overcome it by bringing goodness. You know, we have a saying in this church, you gotta kill people with kindness. I had to do that a lot this Friday. With everything that was going on in Forever, I had to do a lot of killing with kindness. Where your flesh wants to kill with other things, your spirit says, no, you gotta bring kindness to the table because you can't, you can't fight fire with fire. So Gandhi was high, Gandhi wasn't even a Christian. Gandhi was a Hindu who was highly influenced by Jesus who ended up shaping an entire nation. And Martin Luther King Jr. said that when he was fighting for the freedom on this country, that all men are created equal, he said he went to India, he wanted to know how did Gandhi do it, and, and so here is Gandhi influenced by Jesus, and Jesus influenced Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. to bring about a spiritual revolution in our nation, because not long ago, this is crazy, but just not long ago, 50 years ago, this nation was divided by race. That's not that long ago, right? But Gandhi said something that really messes with me. Every time I read this quote from Gandhi, it just really gets to the core of me. Gandhi said this about Christians. Gandhi said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Mm. 
your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Now, if you're a Christian, that should mess with you. Why would someone who was highly influenced by Jesus say that he likes Jesus, but he has a hard time with Jesus' followers? My friends, this should trouble us. The reason why he said this, he said, when I read the Sermon on the Mount, I am highly influenced and inspired to bring change to the world, but then I look at the ones who say they follow Jesus, they don't resemble what Jesus resembles. There's a problem there when the followers are not emulating the leader. This is why I believe Jesus wants to save Christians. My friends, I said this a couple of weeks ago, I'm gonna say it again. It's possible to be sincere and wrong. This is the case in point. What we just read proves this point. They were sincere that Jesus, and they were proud about it. Jesus, we just did something awesome. We saw some people cast out demons in your name and we told them, stop it. You're not one of us. You don't belong to our group. They were proud. There's a lot of things being done in the name of Jesus that people are very proud about, but Jesus says, why are you doing that? Oh, y'all are going to be very quiet today. Isn't it interesting? They were proud of this moment. Have you ever been proud of something? And someone said, why? Why'd you do that? Why you got to go on and do that? Jesus said, why would you stop him? Here's what happens, my friends. After a while, if you grew up in church or you grew up in a religious setting, there is this indirect connotation that we think that we're in and some people are out. It's a very dangerous language. This language of we got it and you don't. It's one of the most dangerous religious rhetoric in our country and in the world. It's the reason why we have religious wars. It's when one says, we got it, you clearly don't. And if you notice, everyone who talks about hell believes they're not going to hell. It's a very dangerous vocabulary. This insider language that I got it and you don't. What makes people think this way? Well, for the disciples, it's very simple. They're the ones walking with Jesus every day. Now, over here, this is about two years into this relationship connection. So they're thinking, hey, man, we, we got the insider look here. We got this. Y'all don't know what you're talking like, we Look who we're hanging out with. Yo, we got VIP seats. Y'all are in the bleacher. Nosebleed. We're up here, up and close. But missing the point of why Jesus came. My friends, this is a massive challenge to us to think that just because we've been exposed to some religious stuff 
that we're in and everybody else who doesn't look like us or talk like us or act like us is not part of what this Jesus thing is all about. My friends, we have to be very careful with our vocabulary here because it's, it's, we love categories. Humans love categories. Tell me who is in. Tell me who is how. Some people love to debate who is a false teacher, who is a real teacher, but they forget that that is your own preferences coming into the picture. It's not necessarily that God said these are the false ones and these are the real ones. No, you decided on your own the, the, the categories that you believe this is false and this is real, this is Jesus, this is not, and then Jesus said, why, what are you, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why would you stop anyone who is doing my will because they don't look like you? Because they don't talk like you. Can I confess a sin to you today? But you have to promise not to judge me. Can you do that? I love this church. I'm biased. I love the way we do it. I believe we do it really well. I just love the way we go about church. But it does not mean that anybody else is wrong about how they do church. It doesn't mean. And you're like, so what's the repentance part? This is the repentance part is that sometimes in my heart, I'm very snobbish about it. I mean, I say it out loud, but in my heart, I'm like, man, we got this. <laughs> they should come to us. We got the corner marker on this thing. I just want to say something very important. No one has the copyright on Christianity. No one. Anyone who talks with this a matter of fact, like I know what I'm talking about, run. Anyone who starts to say, don't follow that and don't do that, run. Because Jesus clearly says, don't stop anybody who is proclaiming my name and he's using my name to cast out demons. Because think about it, if a demon is casting out a demon, that's counterproductive. <laughs> think about that. Jesus in another instance says, listen, they, they call him a demon follower. Jesus is like, that's kind of counterproductive. If I'm a demon and I'm casting out demons, I'm playing for the wrong team. Think about that. Right? Can you imagine playing for the Patriots and, 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 and you score a touchdown for the opposite team? It's counterproductive. I almost want to show you this, this thing that happened this week in a high school game. A kid caught an interception, but he was so excited, he started running the wrong way. And he was about to score, like he was on the three-yard line. And what's amazing is, one of his teammates chased him down and tackled him <laughs> from behind at the three-yard line. And I feel like, Spiritually speaking, that's what we need to do with some Christians. We need to tackle you. Stop scoring for the opposite team. 
Stop arguing about things that Jesus said is not against us. Stop spending energy on unnecessary theological heart attacks. Because here's the reality, my friends. Different is not bad. Different is different. It's just different. Different is not bad. We like categories. It's just different. My experience with Jesus is very different from my wife's experience with Jesus. Very different. We grew up different. We think about it differently. But guess what? We follow the exact same Jesus. One of the struggles that I had to come to terms with over the years is this fact that not everyone is going to know Jesus the way I know Jesus. Because in my zeal, in my passion, in my desire to see other people follow Jesus, sometimes I get in the way of their own way and their own desires. And because God is so big, he has very unique ways that he attracts people to himself. And it doesn't look like me. It may not look like your way, but God loves people and he finds a way to get to every single person. I've had to wrestle with that over the years, that people's encounter with Jesus is going to look very different from mine, and it's not bad or good. It's just different. There's 7.7 billion people in the world, and they're all different. There's not one person who is like the next person. But the common denominator is every single one of them was created in the image and likeness of God, and God wants to restore every single one back to himself. Every single one. So my friends, no one owns the copyright of Christianity. Jesus is inclusive. Religion is exclusive. Jesus is inclusive. Religion likes to exclude people. Who is in, who is out, who is holy, who is not holy, who does it right, who doesn't do it right. We spend so much energy trying to figure out what God is the only one that really knows the heart of the people. Jesus said this. This is so powerful. Jesus said I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. That's exclusive. So, in other words, Jesus is exclusive and yet inclusive. Jesus is like, listen, if you want to know God and follow his will and follow his purpose, I'm it. Okay, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, but guess what? Everyone is welcome to come to the way, the truth, and the life. And they're going to come very different from the way you did. Everybody has their own journey. Some people 
as we just sang, is on their deathbed, they come to realize that there's a God. There's so many people on their deathbed who finally says, I need to surrender my life to God. How do I know this? On the cross, a man was dying. He never met the will of God, but as he was dying, he said, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus said, today you will be with me. But he never got baptized. He never went to church. He never spoke in tongues. But in one moment, he cried out to Jesus. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. My friends, Jesus is inclusive because he loves people, not categories of people. Are you tracking? Jesus is the only way to God. I want to make that clear. But everyone is welcome. Because different is just different. We have an enemy. And it's not the church down the street. We have an enemy, but it's not anyone who is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have an enemy who wants to turn us on each other and we have to be able to discern to say, wait a minute, I, you're not my enemy. I may not look like you, I may not talk like you, I may not worship like you, but we have the same blood of Jesus running through our veins and we're gonna worship God together. Amazing, the really dumb arguments that we get over. Who's right, who's wrong, who does it right? And Jesus is standing in the back going, what are you doing? There's a dying world who doesn't know Jesus, and we're over here fighting about the methods of how to get to Jesus. Think about it. There's a dying world wanting to know hope, wanting to know salvation, wanting to know healing, and we, who are supposed to be the hope dealers, we're breaking down the ingredients of hope as opposed to dishing out the hope. Who's right? Who's wrong? Who's the false teacher? <laughs> I've been called a false teacher because according to some people, I don't fit their requirements on how to follow Jesus. Now, it's going to be an interesting conversation when we both get to heaven. Because <laughs> I would love to see how that goes. Uh, you know, if there's such a thing as a pearly gate, I'd like to know how that goes. Because we're both here, and now, hey, he told me that I'm a, I can't get in, so... So how's this gonna go down? <laughs> and, and where's he gonna live? Because I... <laughs> it's a dangerous stuff, my friends. That's playing God. That's basically saying, I'm God, and I know who's in and who's out. It's very dangerous. Because the, the thing is, when you read Jesus, he says some scary things about those who think they're in. He says there's going to be a rude awakening. He said, actually, there's some people who prophesied in my name, who cast out demons, who prophesied, and I'm going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. It's the most scariest Bible verse in the entire Bible. 
Matthew 7, 21, go read it. He said, not all who says, Lord, Lord, will enter my kingdom, but only those who do the will of my Father who are in relationship with us. So the name of Jesus could be used and not necessarily hit home. And I used to me- that used to mess with me. I'm like, how? How can people, these are big things. Like, it's not every day you cast out a demon. When was the last time you, like, cast out a demon? Right? That, that's some pretty, like, big stuff. It's not every day you prophesy. It's not every day you, 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 you pray for someone and they get healed. These are, like, big deal. And Jesus is like, you can do that and still not know me. Wow. They used to mess with me. I remember wrestling with this scripture. I'm like, how in the world? How is that possible? And a friend of mine really brought the picture to life. You know, I had a friend of mine. He, he, he was converted, but he spoke like he was Jamaica, Jamaican. He, he had dreads and everything. His name was Carlos. And he would say things like, yeah, man. <laughs> Carlos loved Jesus, and he helped me understand Jesus. And I said, Carlos, how, how do you understand the scripture? How is it possible to do these big spiritual things and still I know Jesus? He's like, yeah, man, that's easy. I said, well, explain it to me. He goes, he said, you ever seen one of those statues at a, at a park somewhere that, that, that you know, that there's a person or, or an animal and it's just there, it's a statue, and then there's have water flowing out. You ever seen those statues? Yeah. Don't act like you ever seen those statues. <laughs> And it's like, you know, the water shoots out from those statues, but those statues don't retain the water for themselves. It says water is still water, but the statue doesn't retain the water. He said, listen, you can use the name of God. His name is, his name is so powerful that you can use it wrong. It still heals somebody, but doesn't mean you retain it for yourself. And I was like, yeah, man. That makes sense. We have an enemy, but it's not people preaching Jesus. Even if someone is preaching Jesus wrong, God will be the one to deal with them. Can I prove it to you? Paul the apostle was in jail for preaching Jesus, and there were some people who would come around to where Paul would preach, and they would try, this is so funny, they would try to correct Paul's teachings. They would tell people, yeah, yeah, Jesus, but you know, you also got to keep the law. Yeah, but you also got to be circumcised, which adult males are like, come on now. (laughs) But it's amazing. They told Paul, Paul, here's what's happening. People are preaching Jesus the wrong way. Here's Paul's response to that. Look what Paul says. Look, Paul was like, but that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, The message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. Perspective and maturity. Paul was like, listen, let the water keep going out. They may not retain it, but someone will retain it, and someone will run with it, and someone will get healed, someone will get blessed. So you don't have to have a heart attack over it. So funny, you know, when I get called false teacher, I always think about, man, how much time do you have in your hand? Because it would be great if you use that energy to help brand new people get to know Jesus. Because that's how I want to spend my energy, is, is introducing as many people to Jesus as possible. So I don't really don't have time for the religious nonsense, honestly. That's why, like, 
Like, if you come to me right now and you start to argue the Bible, you're going to bore me to death. I'm more concerned with living the Bible than to actually argue who is in or who is out. I'll let God be the judge of that. So I thought today is important that we, we, we take a quick history lesson. How do we get here to where we have groups? How do we get to this place where we say, I have my group, you have your group, I'm in, guess what? If I'm in, that means you might be out, you might wanna pray about that. <laughs> I have the quarter market on Christianity. How do we get here? I wanna take us through a brief history of church history, because I think it's important you understand this. See, I hope you understand this church, we're trying to be a teaching church, trying to teach you. To really teach you the ways of God, right? So you have to understand this. But I need you to lean in for a second because this is a church history lesson. We're going to school for a second. You ready? Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. It's a proven fact. This is not a Bible fact. This is outside the Bible. History proves there was a man named Jesus who lived, who died on a cross. Now, if you want to believe that he rose again, that's, that's, that's your faith who comes into play, but Jesus did live, died on a cross for the sins of the world, rose again on the third day, and then began to appear to his disciples for 40 days. He appeared up to 500 people for 40 days, and he had one common message to them. Hey, remain here, because my spirit is coming, and you're gonna go and preach this good news about me all over the world. We call this the day of Pentecost, the spirit came, and he, and he empowered the believers to be bold about this good news because they're like, man, if someone, think about this, right? Think about this for a second. If someone predicts their death and actually pulls it off and predicts that he would come back from the dead, I don't know about you guys, I'm with that guy. <laughs> like, I'm with that guy. Like, if you can predict your death, actually do it, and then come back from the dead, and then prove yourself by showing up to us for 40 days and showing us your scars and, and then ascend it to heaven, guess what? I don't care what you say, I'm with you. Like, whatever you say, I'm, I'm, I'm with that guy. Right? So, so the disciples begin to spread this good news despite all oppositions because not everybody believes. I think you already know that. <laughs> And quickly, within months, thousands of people begin to embrace this message that, that God loves you and he sent his son Jesus to die for you and he's got, a, he's got a plan for your life and he wants to have a relationship with you. And people begin by the droves, thousands, even though there was many religions, they were like, man, this is it, this is, this is the way. And so people started saying things like, that's the way. Not Christian, not Christianity. They were like, there was no name for this thing. This was brand new. So people begin to flock to this, and they started having services called ecclesia, which means church. They just started gathering and begin to talk more about this Jesus and breaking bread together, and then go out and spread this message, and more people would come. Thousands begin to come. So fast forward a few years later, if you get to the book of Acts, which is, it shows you the trajectory of the church. Acts chapter 8, they get to a city named Antioch because they preached in the gospel, and they were persecuted, and it forced them to spread out. They couldn't stay in one place because they would be killed for their faith. 
So they would go to different cities, and wherever they went, they told people about this good news of Jesus. In Antioch, some people were making fun of them for believing that a man could come back from the dead. And they were like, those are those weird people that follow that guy. They call the Christ. Christ means Jesus Christ is not his last name. Christ is his title. It means the Messiah, the anointed one, the sent one. They're like, look, those Christians, they say they follow that guy. So out of mockery, the name Christian came into existence. Because they're like, actually, that makes main sense. We want to follow that guy, Christ. So they embrace the, this title of Christians for the first time in the book of Acts, a few years after Jesus is life, death, and resurrection. By now, there are thousands of people, which by the way, Jesus prophesied this would happen. He said, listen, I'm gonna send you out with my spirit and you're gonna be my witnesses first in Jerusalem where they lived. He says, then you're gonna go a little bit farther than that. You're gonna go to Judea. And then you're gonna go further than that. You're gonna go to Samaria. And then you're gonna go to the ends of the earth. So check this out, so cool. Acts 9, we introduced to a man named Saul who hated this movement called Christianity because he believed, like, every, like a lot of people believe, that it's a cult. As a Jew Pharisee, which by the way, remember Pharisees? Paul was a Pharisee, very highly educated in the law, and he said, my job is to eradicate this cult. I want to get rid of it. So Paul would go from city to city to arrest Christians, put them on trial for breaking the law, and then some of them would be executed. Paul was in person when a young man named Stephen was, perse was persecuted and executed for believing in Jesus. On the way to a place, Jesus appeared to Paul and he said, Paul, why do you persecute me? Notice, this is so important. He didn't say, why are you persecuting these people? He said, why are you persecuting me? My friends, that's good news. Jesus equates you with himself. He says, if someone is persecuting you, it's persecuting me. Like, Jesus doesn't separate himself from his followers. Like some people say, you can follow Jesus and not go to church. Jesus is like, the church is my people. So this man has this encounter with Jesus, and he transformed the world. This is history. I'm not making this up. Go look it up. This man named Saul takes his Greek name, named Paul, and he says, this thing is real. He appeared to me, and he began now to preach the same news that he was trying to eradicate. And some were skeptical at first, because they're like, yeah, right, he's just doing that to, to lure us in. So some Christians didn't trust Paul in the beginning. So Paul had to earn the trust of believers, and he began now to say, no, I, I, I wasn't called to you guys. I was called to the rest of the world. Because at that point, it was mostly Jews. Paul was like, no, it's Jews and everybody else. Everybody else for them is Gentiles. Paul was like, I'm called to the Gentiles. I'm taking this good news to the rest of the world. Prophecy. Jesus said, you will go to the rest of the world. So Paul takes this news of Jesus to the rest of the known world at the time. And everywhere Paul went, he preached Jesus, and he would establish what we call ecclesia, which is gathering of believers, called the church. And he would put a leader over it, and he would go to the next city. And, and that's how we have the letters of Paul. Are you tracking? So now Christianity is spread throughout the known time. That's why you have books like the Romans, that's in Rome. Books like Corinthians, that's in Corinth, Greece, Galatia. 
Philippians. These are all cities that Paul would plant the church of Jesus despite being persecuted. Paul was beaten to death because he preached Jesus. So this was not a walk in the park for these people, which tells you, to me, one of the greatest evidence of Jesus was these first believers. Against all odds, they kept preaching the good news because they're like, we can't deny the fact that we know him, we saw him, we touched him, we live with him. Like, we, we can't deny this thing. Fast forward to fourth century. Fourth century, now this thing is all over. But they were facing a lot of persecution. See, there is an enemy who hates the gospel. And he uses people who are ignorant of the gospel. So they were being killed by the hundreds. You, you know the Roman Colosseum. Christians would be thrown into the lions to be killed because of their faith. But guess what? In fourth century, Rome was the main empire of the world. And the emperor, by the name of Constantine, had a vision. In this vision, he saw a cross. Now, this is debated in history. Was it a genuine vision where he really saw the cross, so he was just trying to take advantage? But here's what happened. He decided, I saw a vision of this cross. I believe in this Christian thing, and I'm going to make it the official religion of the empire. Now, this was good news and bad news. I need you to track with me here because people talk about these things, but they're ignorant. Please track with me here because I'm trying to teach you something, okay? He makes Christianity the official religion of Rome, which meant the world because Romans controlled the world at this time. Good news is that brought down the persecution because people became to accept the Christians more. That's the good news. The bad news is it made Christianity an institution controlled by the government, controlled by politics, controlled by corruption. Are you tracking? So now, here's Christianity. They have the peace, but they don't have the spirit. So many people saw through that and said, no, we're not going to buy into that. We're going to stay on the fringes of that because we want to still follow the ways of Jesus without being controlled by the government, without being controlled by politics, because they begin to put people in place that would control the way people would do life. And my friends, I need you to understand, this is the birth of what we call the Roman Catholic Church. This is not a bash on this thing. I'm just telling you history. This empire now has control, and they begin to put bishops and priests and, and popes in place that they can control the rhetoric so they can say whatever they want to say, and so everything began to be institutionalized. But in the meantime, there were many people who said, we're not going to buy into that, and so those people would be persecuted by the actual church because they said, yes, we love Jesus, but we're not into religion and politics. Are you tracking? Roman Catholic Church means, the word Catholic means universal. They said we're going to have one universal church all over the world that we control the rhetoric. We control the masses. We control what can be said and not be said. In the meantime, God still has people outside of that remnant saying, no, we're not going to, we want to follow Jesus. Not institution. 
Fast forward to the 16th century. I really pray you get this, because it's so important. We live in a very religious region. We need to educate people on this stuff. 16th century, there is a priest in the Roman Catholic Church by the name of Martin Luther who begins to feel restless about the condition of the church. And he begins to read the Bible and say, wait a minute, what is here and what we're doing doesn't match. And, and, and he begins to read specifically the book of Romans, written to the church in Rome. And he comes across this verse that revolutionized the world. The world, I mean the world, the reason, the reason why we're here today is because this moment, this man was reading the Bible and he came across Romans 1, 16, 17. Look, he's, look, here's what he read there, that changed him and changed the world. He said, look, the good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that the righteous person has life. Why is this important? Because in that moment, the Catholic Church was teaching the way to God is through works. It's through buying indulgences. Did you know this? The Catholic Church at this time in 16th century would tell people, hey, if you want to liberate your, your loved ones who have died from purgatory to heaven, you can pay. We'll give you a certificate that says, hey, here, here you go. Your loved one is now free from purgatory. So basically, they took the good news of Jesus and made it profitable. I'm not bashing the church. I'm just telling you what happened. So... So this priest in the church says, no, it's saying right. And back in those days, the way that you would present an argument, you would make your points. They call them thesis, right? He wrote 95 reasons why the church is wrong. He began to spell it down. He's like, listen, we miss the good news of Jesus. We've institutionalized it. We've made it about who's in, who's out. We made it who can buy it. And people are afraid, they're worried about going to hell, they're not worried about having a relationship with Jesus, they're worried about their loved ones being in purgatory, which by the way, the Bible doesn't have purgatory in it. The Bible talks about heaven and hell. No in-between place. I'm just trying to educate us. And he, back in those days, they didn't have blogs. So he couldn't blog about this. So he did what they had. The technology of the day was you would post your ideas, and he posted it on the door of the church and said, let's talk about this. Guess what? Everybody said, oh, great idea, Martin. No, they didn't. The church was furious. And to make a long story short, the church excommunicated him and called him a heretic, meaning he's a blasphemer. He doesn't believe in the Roman Catholic Church. He never wanted to leave the Catholic Church. He wanted to reform it. And hence, my friends, what came off what we call the birth of the Reformation. For two years, he was in prison, hiding so they wouldn't kill him. And in two years, you know what he did? For the first time in the history of mankind, he took the Bible where back in those days, only the priest could read the Bible, only the priest had the Bible. He took it 
and he translated it into their own language. He was from, from Germany. He translated it into Germany. He says, every human being should be able to read the Bible and know Jesus for himself. And so for the first time in history, we had the Bible. And that, be, and that sparked what we call the Protestant movement. You ever heard the word Protestant? Anyone who's not Roman Catholic was considered to be a Protestant, protesting against the institution. Martin Luther goes on to spark a revolution where people can read the Bible for themselves. The printing press came into play and they began to publish the Bible and people were excited for the first time. How I can read about God. I can read about Jesus in my own language. I can understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Guess what? It spread like wildfire. Jesus prophesied that his gospel would go and no one can stop this thing. So how do we get here? Because, because after the Reformation period, the 16th century, it gave people freedom to explore the Bible. And here's what happens when you explore the Bible. You begin to interpret the Bible. And then you begin to have preferences of what you want to interpret. And so that's why now you have what's called the Lutheran church because they prefer the way Luther interpret the Bible. Why do you have the Baptist church? Because some people decided, no, no, we have to emphasize baptism as the main doctrine. And now we have the Baptist church. And then we have the Presbyterian church. And then we have the, 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 the Pentecostal church and, and the Charismatic church and, and the Anglican church and in and, and, and the church of God. And why? Because now that you have access to this thing, the problem is you begin to say, we are in. And you're not based on our interpretation of the Bible. Are you tracking with me? This is so important, we need to get this, right? So this is how you get all the different denominations of Christianity. So today, what do we have? We have three main lines of Christianity. You have the Roman Catholic still, you have the Eastern Orthodox who broke out of the Roman Catholic Church, and then you have all the Protestant churches that we fall under. Are you tracking? So this is how we got here. But the problem is, it became more about my group versus your group as opposed to the good news of Jesus Christ that is for all men, everywhere, of all race, all color, all creeds. Just in case you're wondering, what about us? What are we? Yes. We are Jesus. <laughs> but unfortunately, there are categories, and people like categories, so I'm going to tell you what they put us under. I don't like it, but we are what we call a charismatic church. The reason why we're under the charismatic vein is because we truly believe that the Holy Spirit is still very active and real, and that's the gifts. Charisma means gifts of the Spirit. We believe in speaking in tongues. We believe in healings. We believe in miracles. We believe in prophecy. And we're not shy about it. I speak in tongues every day. Does that shock you? Good. I believe in prophecies. I believe in healings. I believe in miracles. I believe that same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is still here in this moment, in this place. But here's the catch. There are no right denominations. There's only one gospel that everyone is accepted through the blood of Jesus.
See, Jesus called his church a body, right? He says, hey, I'm the head and you're the, you're the body. In your body right now, there are many veins that helps the blood flow. Think about denominations that way. They're just many veins to the same thing. They're just trying to reach, to bring people to the same place. So guess what? Instead of arguing, we can actually appreciate the different denominations and take the good out of each one and celebrate God for what he's doing with each one. We can celebrate, listen, can I tell you something? I have learned so much from all denominations. I am a, remember this, I'm a byproduct of the, the both Catholic Church and the Nazarene Church. That's how I grew up. I grew up going to mass in Sunday school. I had my own denomination. Catholic, Nazarene, Catherine. That, that was me. <laughs> That's how I grew up. And, and both blessed my life. Some of my favorite writers today are Catholic writers. Henry Now, Brennan Manning. Some of my favorite writers come from different veins. Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster, that's the Quakers. Some of my favorite music comes from very old 15th, 16th century hymns. How Mighty Fortress is that God was written by Martin Luther himself. Still one of the most powerful songs ever written. How great is our God. That, listen, these are all amazing things that have been passed down to us from generation to generation that we can celebrate. We don't have to argue over which one is right or wrong. We can just say, God, thank you for all the veins. All the veins. I got saved in the Nazarene church. I owe a lot to the Nazarene church. The young man who preached Friday night is a Nazarene preacher, and we're friends. Every single year, I send a text to my, my first pastor for Memorial Day weekend because it was in the Nazarene church during a retreat that they do every year that I got saved. So every year I say, Pastor, I just wanna thank you for your investment into my life. It's been another year. It's been 21 years now since Jesus got a hold of me in the Nazarene church and he saved my life. I owe much to so many different veins of Christianity that it would be a shame for us to bash it instead of celebrating it. It's almost like God's like, man, I'm trying to give you variety and you're trying to dish it. It's funny how we like variety in everything else. When you go to the store, you like to be able to go to Sierra Island and go, what do I want today? Do I want the real stuff or do I want the bootleg stuff? Isn't it true? Two aisles, all the real things, all the bootleg. But who goes there and argues over which one is bootleg or not? You get your cereal and you go home and you enjoy it. So why don't we learn to enjoy the things that God has blessed us with as opposed to be arguing, fighting over what's bootleg and what's not. Now I gotta wrap this up because I need to go to forever. But look how Jesus ends this message. My friends, this is, this is heavy though because Jesus turns really, like this is one of those moments that it escalated quickly. Jesus went from stop him, don't stop him, who's not against us is for us, but look what he says like, this is pretty heavy. I need you to catch this. Look at verse 42. He says, but if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to be thrown into the sea 
with a large millstone hung around your neck. That's heavy. It's like, whoa, Jesus. What happened to loving God, loving people? And then he goes on, my friends, look, this is heavy. I need you to get this. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better to enter eternal life with one hand than to go into unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better to enter eternal life with only one foot than to be thrown into hell with two feet. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It is better to enter God's kingdom with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the maggots never die and fire never goes out. Whoa. Time out. What happened? What happened is this. I need you to get this. Most people talk about hell incorrectly. Notice how Jesus tied you thinking you're in and you think someone is out. That might be the reason why you go to hell. Usually, how do we talk about it? We say, that person's not in. They're going to go to hell. Jesus is like, no, it's actually you're more in danger of thinking that you're in. So you better cut off some of the stuff. He's not saying physically cut it off. He's saying, like, this is how serious this is. If you're pointing fingers, this is your hand. You're using your hand, and you're verbalizing, and you're being verbally abusive, and you're telling people they're going to hell. Guess what? You might be more in danger of hell than that other person. My God, that should shake us to the core. You see how he talks about hell different than we talk about hell? This is why, you see why I don't talk about hell that much? Because it's intense. And usually it's the people that think they were in that might be out. So I have to check my heart because I'm the only one that can check my own heart. I can't check your heart. Only you and God knows your heart. So who am I to tell you if you're in or out? Hell is a real place, but it's destined for those who don't want to accept the grace of God and the love of God. It's not you go to hell because you did this, this, and this. No, you go to hell because you chose to live outside of the grace of God, the side of the will of God. I pray we understand this because we need to articulate this right out there. There's a lot of bad theology out there about what this is really all about. My friends, this is serious. We have to be careful with the insider language that's keeping other people out. Because Jesus says, no, I'm inclusive. Open wide the gates and make room for more people. Because I don't want anyone to go to hell. It's amazing to me how Jesus flips this thing on his head. And look how he ends. Look. 49, for everyone will be tested with fire. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? You must have the qualities of salt among yourselves and live in peace with each other. Jesus says, listen, I, I want you to be like salt in this world. What does salt do? Salt do two things, basically, right? Salt does two things. Go ahead. Go to my last slide. Salt brings flavor and preservation. That's what salt does. That's the point of salt. But you don't see salt, do you? 
Salt has incredible effect on food without you seeing it. But what do you do? You taste it. Right? So Jesus says, look, we bring the right flavor to the world. Like, the way you live, the way you talk, you can bring a flavor to other people to understand the goodness and the grace and the love and the mercy and the inclusiveness of God over every single person. Listen, we've got to watch the way you live in your life. Your life is the salt to others. That's why he says, if salt loses its saltiness, what is he good for? What he's saying is, man, if you start to bash people and, and, and you're not helping people come to me, then what are you good for? And then he says, look, we preserve the mission of loving God and people. It's hard, get my heart as a pastor here, it's hard to keep a church focused on reaching people for Jesus. Because you know what happens to us indirectly? We want to just have an insider thing. That's what kills churches. We have to preserve the mission is to love God and love people and to keep bringing them in. As long as you're bringing people in, you don't have time to condemn them. You don't have time to judge them. You don't have time to get into arguments. You're just worried about bringing people in. That's why as a pastor, I battle this every day, every week to keep the main thing the main thing. We're not here to make you feel, you know, exclusive. We're not here to make you feel like you arrived. We're here to get you to become light and salt to an evil generation who needs the love and the grace and the goodness of God. That's why every one of you should join the mission and do something tangible that says, I am helping to bring flavor and preservation to this world. Because if you're not against us, you're for us. So let's not get in the way of what Jesus has been trying to do for 2,000 years. Because the reality is, my wife was talking about this this week. The church is a runaway freight train. Either you get on it or you get run over by it. It doesn't stop. So each one of us have to check our own heart to say, am I being this light and the salt? Or am I being getting in the way of others? I've heard people tell people, don't come to this church. It's like, is that where you want to be? You, you want to be on that side of history? You, you want to answer to Jesus from that angle? It's not going to go well for you. My friends, I want to err on the side of compassion. I want to err on the side of mercy. I want to err on the side of, no, you're in. I, I don't want to err on the side of judgment or condemnation. I don't want to err on the side of legalism and laws and rules and regulations. I want to say, no, the grace of God is for everyone. Come on, stand with me. Help me land this plane because I got to go. Would you do me a favor, though, really wrestle with this? Really internalize this. Man, Jesus is irresistible, my friends. It's religion that people don't like. Jesus is irresistible. And he loves you for who you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to be more like him. Inclusive, welcoming people, loving people, believing for more people. We cannot arrive and think we have it and others don't. That's detrimental to our souls and other people's souls. So would you pray with me today that we would take Jesus' words to heart 
that we would be the light and the salt of this generation of believers. So Father, today we pray, Jesus, I pray that you have made yourself real through this message. I pray we are more educated today, more knowledgeable, and more in tune with you. God, I help us to not get in the way of what you're doing. Help us to not be on the wrong side of history. Jesus, teach us to love you more and to love others more with any reservation, with any preferences. Thank you that we get to be part of your church, that we get to love you and love others. And maybe you're here today, you've never made Jesus the, the Lord of your life. You've never actually followed Jesus. You've had religion, but you never actually followed Jesus. Listen, my friends, you're one prayer away. All you gotta do is say, Jesus, come into my life. I want you in my life. I want this relationship. If I'm talking to you today, and you're like, that's me. I, I want a relationship with Jesus. With every head bow, eyes closed. It's a personal time. Would you do me a favor? If, if I'm talking to you, just, just lift your hand and say, that's me. I'm talk you're talking to me, so I can know who I'm talking to. You're like, man, that's me. I see you guys to my left here. Anyone else? I see you in the middle here. I see you to my right. Anyone else before I pray? Would you pray with me? All of us are going to pray, but especially you guys that raise your hand. Just pray this prayer from your heart. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, he will come and save you and rescue you and have a relationship with you. Just say this. Say, Father, today I see it clearly. I've untangled some stuff, and I need Jesus. So Jesus, come into my life, forgive me my sins. I pray today that you would be my Lord and my Savior. My life is yours. My future belongs to you. Salvation is a gift, and I receive it by faith in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, please share it with another person. And for more information, visit our website, newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.